Welcome to Heartland Church. It is our prayer that as you listen to the following message, you would experience the heart of God for your life. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Now, let's join this week's service already in progress. Matthew 16. Let's look at verse 1. Jesus, speak to us. We thank you. Amen. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus tested and tested him, asking to show them a sign from heaven. Verse 2, he replied, when evening comes, you say, it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went another way. In this passage, this little introduction to Matthew 16 that we've looked at so many other times, we usually look further in the passage. It's really a turning point in Jesus' ministry. But before he gets into that encounter with his disciples where they define for him who he is, they, not that Jesus didn't know, but they needed to know so that Jesus could begin to roll out some, some things about his ministry. It was at this point Jesus began to talk about his suffering. But prior to that, Jesus didn't talk about that with his disciples. And so, but just before that, he has this encounter with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're asking for a sign. Now, you will hear cessationists, those who believe that the gifts of the Spirit are not for today, talk about how desiring signs and wonders is evil and use this passage to preach at. And I understand where they're coming from. They're just wrong. Okay? Well, I'm not, I don't mean that unkindly. I just, we just need to say that they're wrong. Jesus is the author of signs and wonders. And if they were wrong, then why would he be the author of them, okay? Uh, What Jesus is saying, he talks about three different types of signs here. Those that are wanting a sign so they will believe. The problem is they've already seen signs and they keep wanting another one and another one and another one and another one and another one. He said, quit asking for a sign. So he's talking about signs as proof to help them believe. He said, you've already got your sign. You've had enough signs. Quit being an unbelieving generation that needs another little magic show so that you will believe. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about it being evil to have signs, and it's not evil to seek them, but you want to be the vehicle of a sign. You want to be, you want to be a sign to your generation, and you want to see the power of God released. And we, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, one of which is miracles, one of which is healings, one of, several of which are the prophetic. And so if it is wrong to desire those things, why are Paul and Jesus at odds with each other? They're not. So it's a, wrong, it's a bad interpretation. So we have this kind of sign that says, I need a miracle so that I'll believe. Do another one, do another one, do another one. And then I will surrender to him. And he's saying that is a wicked and perverse generation that needs that. Okay? Then he says there's, there's another type of signs. It's the signs of the times. So you have signs, miracles, so that you will believe. And then you have the signs of the times. And then you have this last one, he says, that none will be given you except the sign of Jonah. So this is the sign that is fulfilled after the fact. It's a prophetic word, a prediction, if you will, that then is validated by the fulfillment of the promise. Okay, And so he's saying it's a sign. But he says it in a veiled way because... He's speaking to unbelieving people. So he calls it the sign of Jonah. So we have three different types of signs talked about here. 
The one I want to touch on just really quick here is the signs of the times. It's very interesting. Jesus uses this allegory or this metaphor. He said, you look at the weather. You can read the, the weather. And he said, and he's alluding to this, this phrase. You probably have heard it. Uh, it's not said as a rhyming little phrase here, but it's really talking about the same phenomena. When I was a kid, my mom would say, red in the morning, sailor's warning. Red at night, sailor's delight. And so we'd, we'd be coming home because, you know, when I was a kid, you, you left when the sun came up. You didn't come home till the sun came down. And you just disappeared all day back in the good old days. And we didn't wear bike helmets either. Anyway, that, I digress. But anyway, we uh, glory. Did you feel that? So anyway, we, uh, my mom would say that at night if the, the, sun, the, the sky was red, and that meant it's going to be a nice day to go running again, and she could get rid of us for the whole day. No, not really. But we'd just take off, you know. And so that's that picture, and that's what Jesus is talking about, that, that you can read the signs of the times. Now, interesting thing is, the time, has, you have to know the time in order to interpret the sign, because if it's red in the morning, it's a sailor's warning. But if it's read at night, a different time, it means something else. So the time, the timing of the sign will determine what it means. Now it says of the, remember the, 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 the uh, sons of Isaacar, they knew the signs of the times and they knew what they should do. In other words, because they were able to read the times, they knew what they should do. It gave them their marching orders. So it gave them their assignment, their, their sense of destiny and purpose flowed from their being able to discern the times. Here's an interesting thing about that whole passage where it talks about Isaacar. That that is the skill set they brought to the table. If you look at the context of that, there were some that were really good with slingshots. You know, wouldn't you like to be one of those guys? Take the, you know, the flea off an ox's ear from 30 yards, you know. And, uh, that, some of them were good at slingshots. Some were good at spears. The skill set that the children of Isaacar brought to the table was they understood the signs of the times and therefore knew what they should do. This is a needed skill set in the kingdom of God. And what he's alluding to is meteorology. It's the science of interpreting atmospheric conditions, present conditions, in order to anticipate future ones. All right? Catch that. It is the science of understanding present conditions so that you can accurately anticipate, I'm having a hard time here, anticipate future ones. In other words, what Jesus is telling us is the kingdom of God and the spiritual realm are such that if you learn this skill set, just like someone can go and learn the science of meteorology, you can learn to study spiritual conditions and therefore you can tune into what's going on right now, the atmospheric conditions, what's the climate in the room, what's going on here, and you can accurately predict when you know the ways of God, what's coming next. That's what he's saying. And so rather than looking for a sign to believe, we can just understand, become students, highly skilled in dialing in on what's going on in the spirit around us. God wants us to be people who are highly aware of the spiritual climate. And we understand the trends, the movement, what's coming next. This trend this climate trend is an anticipation of the, the next one. And so we can position ourselves. That's what he's talking about. 
So this thing of weather systems is very, very important. There's a spiritual correlation. Now, turn with me to Isaiah 55 very quickly here. We've got 10 minutes. Remember that passage where where, uh, Joshua raised his hands and the sun stood still? I wonder if that would work with our roast. If If time stood still here, if your crock pot slows down at home. Should we find out? Some of you aren't laughing. You must have an expensive roast. All right, Isaiah 55. I don't have time to get into all this, but the, a, a few weeks ago, the Lord began to speak to me out of this passage, and it had to do with what we were talking about, his ways being higher than our ways. And there are times we're storming heaven for something. We think we're praying for one thing, but in actuality, God's attributing our prayers to something higher. You remember that? And so there, there's times that God will lead you, he'll draw you into a battle, never realizing that your personal struggle is clearing an arena on a much higher level. And that God is doing something on a much larger scale. And we used Hannah, Samuel's mama, as our case study. That Hannah was just wanting a baby. She was just a woman wanting a baby. So she had this personal struggle, barrenness. She's crying out, never realizing that she's giving birth to a national solution, a prophet of God named Samuel. Not only that, it wasn't only a momentary solution for the spiritual condition because Samuel would replace Eli, but it was also a longer term solution because he was the one that would anoint King David and inaugurate the line of David and the throne of David upon which King Jesus sits this exact moment and will for eternity. And it all came down to a mama wrestling over wanting a baby. She had no idea that what she was wrestling over was going to clear something on a much higher level, okay? And, and it's in that sense that God's ways are so much higher. And it comes out of this passage. God's, God is looking from a such high, so much higher perspective, and we have to trust him. And sometimes he doesn't let us in on the mystery simply because we'll disengage if he did. So, that's how I came about this passage. So let's look at seven minutes. Look at verse six. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Don't you love that? Abundantly. He doesn't just pardon. He abundantly pardons. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And then he says this, he gives us this metaphor, okay? This is a parable that Isaiah is rolling out. Now the word parable literally means to throw alongside. And the idea behind a parable is they, you, that God's ways are higher than our ways. We don't understand the mysteries of the kingdom. So what we do is we throw something alongside, a metaphor, an illustration that we do understand. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who goes out to sow his seed. When we study the farmer, then we understand the kingdom. And, and Isaiah is doing the same thing. He says... For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. He has a much higher perspective, a bigger perspective on things. 
A lot of times God is acting above the clouds. We see the clouds. He's, uh, he's operating above the clouds. He knows what's really going on. Then he says this, another metaphor. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So here we have this metaphor, this picture, this parable, this illustration of how the word of the Lord works. He says, just like the rain and the snow are released out of heaven, the high place, God's ways are higher than our ways, but he releases the, the snow and the rain from heaven and it's a, it comes to the earth. He says in the same way that happens. Now, the ESV says it doesn't return to him. The NIV says it doesn't return to him until it causes the earth to bring forth what God has put within the earth. It causes the seeds to spring forth and it causes it to bring forth fruit and then it returns to him. And he says, so my word does not return to me void. He releases his word from heaven. It comes on the earth. There's a process on the earth and then it's released back to the heavens to God. So therefore, I believe the NIV is more accurate than the ESV in this rare occasion. Okay? Because we do know scientifically that water does return. It's called the water cycle. Now you got to understand, when the Lord began to speak to me, I got, I got excited. I started looking at all these graphs and studying science and, and what I, what I didn't, didn't listen to back in biology and all that. I listened, all of a sudden I was like, whoa, I wish I had to listen. And I excitedly told my wife, I said, Kath, do you know this? And she said, yeah, you know, it's called the hydraulic cycle, the water cycle. And then I'm like, well, we teach it in homeschooling, you know. And I'm like, oh. You know, I want to I be homeschooled. Here's the thing. There is a water cycle that Isaiah is alluding to. It's called the hydrologic cycle or the hydrological cycle. Think about that word. Hydrological. Hydro, water, logical. It's the logic behind water. And, it's the, and so if we can tap into the logic that God has laid out, the system that God laid out in the natural, he's saying, you will have some indications on how the word of the Lord works. There are seven, check that out, seven, seven components to the hydrologic cycle. Let me read them to you real quick. This is like a preacher's dream, I'm telling you. Listen to this, if I can find my notes here. You'll, you'll find out why I say it's a preacher's dream, because all these words rhyme. Okay? Here it is. Except one. I've got to find a word for this one. Evaporation, condensation, sublimation. Doesn't that sound like some Pentecostal preacher made this up? Evaporation, condensation, sublimation, precipitation, transportation. Here's where they get off. Runoff. And infiltration. Okay? Okay? These are the seven dynamics within the water cycle. And within the water cycle, these seven dynamics, what happens is there's four that happen on the earth and three that happen in the heavens. And so, whenever you study it, being arrogant human beings, we always analyze it from the 
earthly perspective, so it always starts on the earth. But we know where this thing really starts. It starts in the heavens. And God releases water in the heavens. He created a system. You know there's not any more water being created. There is what there is. And there is from the beginning of time. And so there's water that was released that God put within his system. And if we cooperate with the system, then things are watered and the world brings forth fruit as he intended for it to happen. Uh, Speaking of Korea, I went there with Miss Catherine and a delegation a number of years ago. And then Christopher and I and and Miss Catherine went again. It was earlier this year, wasn't it? And we went to the observation deck on the DMZ. You're you're in South Korea looking into North Korea. And I've never seen a more vivid picture of a cursed place. I'm not saying it's cursed by God. They've cursed it themselves. This evil regime that is partnered with demonic entities and literally usurped the Trinity. The, the, The ruler of North Korea right now is the grandson of the founder of the communist regime. And they are known as the Holy Trinity. Father, Son, and now the grandson is like the Holy Spirit. And they literally have that embedded as a religion. I've seen videos. I remember seeing years ago in 2020, people weeping, just, you know, just praising the supreme leader. I mean, it's, it's a demonic culture. And you stand on the observation deck and you look into North Korea. And South Korea, they make our country look backward, I think. I don't want to get too detailed, but there was more electronics on my toilet seat than in you know, the rest of my house back home. I mean, it is an amazing place. Everything is high-tech there. And you get to North Korea, and you look on the observation deck, and it is scorched earth in the North Korea. It's barren and just baked, and nothing's growing. And there's fake cities off in the distance. Just hollow buildings where they put a floodlight up at, at night and fly these big flags to, want, to make themselves appear like they're this highly developed nation. And the reason it's so baked is because the grandfather cut down all the trees for firewood. And because there was no trees, there was nothing to cooperate with the water cycle to pull in the, the clouds to create rain and then to produce it and create a lush landscape. And they literally cultivated barrenness. They created a desert condition. And a lot of believers do the same. Israel has literally taken a desert and made it an oasis. And the way they did it is they accessed the groundwater already in the earth. And so what, here, here's how this thing works, okay? There, I mean, there's a whole lot of, packed in here, and I'm already a minute over, so I'm going to just run through this real quick, okay? Let me read this to you. Evaporation. That's, of course, where the water turns to vapor. So what a tree, see, put it this way. Okay, you are the planting of the Lord, okay? The plants are the way that we cooperate. The role we play in the water cycle is we are the plantings of the Lord. And so a plant goes down deep and the, it, it, its roots pull water out of the ground. Leaves don't really receive the water. They catch it and then it, it, it spans out. But the vast majority of water is captured through the roots. Roots don't receive, roots release. I mean, not roots, leaves. Leaves don't receive, leaves release. That'll preach, but another time. Roots 
roots pull water out of the ground. And so what happens is plant, the plant life is an amazing mechanism of hydraulic energy where they literally pull water through the root. There's root hairs that come in contact, these little tiny hairs on roots that come in contact with water and they begin a pull. So what happens is it's almost like a, a uh, what's it, you know, when you, what? Yeah, like a straw. Well, when you, you know, when you're a suction, you, when you, Siphon, a siphon. Because what happens is, is it's pulling water. It comes in contact with water, pulls it up. And there's a chemical process that I don't fully understand and sure couldn't, couldn't explain to you. But what happens is it, pull, it causes this tension, this pull, so that plants can... I mean, a 100-foot tree will take water from the ground and push it all the way up into the edges of the branches. And underneath the leaves, there's little openings that release the water back in as a vapor. And it creates this cycle where what comes out of the heavens, goes into the ground, is pulled up out of the ground through the uh, roots of a tree, up through the trunk, and is released back through the leaves. And that's why you, what ends up happening is places that begin to be lush green places simply pull in more clouds. They literally create clouds because they're releasing the water they pulled out of the ground in a vapor form. That vapor rises and under certain conditions, the drop in temperature, what happens is the condensation, that water that was a vapor can no longer remain vapor. It begins to condense into droplets and it releases itself back upon the earth. And so there's this water cycle. Now there's more to it, but the fact is there has to be a cooperation on earth. And what can happen is when people cut out all the greenscape, they literally create an environment where clouds no longer are formed and pulled over. So they literally create their own barrenness, create their own desert. I was talking to Brad and Kim Campbell about this. We were having lunch and... We got to talking about all this, and he was talking about the Sahara is growing. They're very concerned about it. So there's a guy that went out there to study it, and he found these little sticks sticking out of the ground. Because some of the older elders say, oh yeah, this used to all be green. Oral history tells them that this was all lush landscape at one time. But what happened is they 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 would tear down all the trees so they could have more planting area. And it literally created a barrenness in the desert. But there were these little trees, these little shoots, sticks coming up out of, the, out of the sand. So what he did is he began, to, every time he'd find a stick, he'd dig down. And it was a, a, a former stump that began to grow again. A little stick came off the stump and was poking through. Because it's tapping into the groundwater. It reminded me of Isaiah chapter 6 where God says, Israel's going to be chopped down, but I'll leave a stump. You ever seen that little stump out here? You pull up the driveway. It's the weirdest little tree. You got all these trees and they became diseased. So I think John cut it down. And now it's, it, there's a little cap on it. You know, just a little, and now the branches are growing out the, the sides. It's like this weird little like Dr. Seuss tree or something. You know, <laughs> Weird little thing there. But the life in it cannot be denied when it comes in contact with water. And as long as there's roots, there will be shoots. And so we have this thing beginning to grow again. Here's the thing. Scripture says that as the rain and the snow are released, so is the word of the Lord. Here's how this thing works. The Lord releases his word through revelation. 
His teaching falls like rain, Deuteronomy says. And what, what he needs is he needs someone to receive it. And what the way we receive it is through the root system in our life. And the, the dry times are very important because it forces your roots to go down deeper and to begin to ac- access things. And as you begin to access the groundwater, the former promises God has given you, what you do is you pull up that moisture through your life. It causes you to grow and you release those promises back to him through worship, intercession, and proclamation. And then what it literally does is your fruitfulness will attract the next outpouring. That as you are fruitful and growing, you will literally attract the next move of God. You ever noticed how it seems like it's always the same people getting prayed for and touched? It's like, well, they always get touched. I mean, I've been there where I look like, it like all those people are getting touched and I wasn't. And it, but it was a mindset that I had to begin to correct within myself. So let me land this thing. It's already seven after. I want you just to give some thought to all that, okay? Last week I was at a Mennonite church in Illinois. What fun. A Holy Ghost Mennonite church. It was established 40 years ago out of revival. A bunch of them got baptized in the Spirit and started to go after Jesus. Robbie Dawkins used to be one of their youth pastors. So we're in worship the first night. And all of a sudden I started feeling this stuff in the air. And as I began to dial in, what I felt like the Lord was saying, tell them, quit praying for the next outpouring. That there is enough water under their feet and past promises that if they will access it, they won't be able to keep the next outpouring away. They will literally literally create the next outpouring by feeding on the promises underneath their feet. Do you realize that, you know, well, water, when water hits the earth, it's, it's, it, it comes, what happens is it lays on top of the ground in the form of snow or ice, or it runs off into lakes, oceans, you know, streams, or the other thing, that's runoff, but then there's this thing, infiltration. It literally seeps into the ground in hidden caverns and crevices and it is stored in these underground water you know, areas called aquifers. Yeah, there's underneath Ankeny, really all of Des Moines, there is this aquifer called the Jordan Aquifer. That's why... The, the water table is so close to the surface in Ankeny. We, when we were going to build this original building, John Lemmix and someone else went out to dig some posts to put a sign up, you know, soon coming, you know, Heartland's new home. Dug the hole, went to, turned around to get the post and went to put it in. It was already full of water. It's so close to the surface. Here's the thing. This is an amazing fact. There is, they say that in the United States... There is more groundwater, more water contained in underground aquifers than there is in all the lakes, rivers, streams combined, including the Great Lakes. Now, I grew up on the Great Lakes. Lake Superior is the largest fresh body of water in the world. You would look and the earth would curve and you can't see the end. It looked like an ocean. There'd be a little tiny speck and it would be an international ship that came through the locks and it would come into our twin ports, Duluth and Superior, thus Minnesota Twins, <laughs> and, and the Twin Cities. So anyway, uh, 
It's an amazing body of water. You, you can drive for days to get around that thing. But there's more in the ground. Here's what I'm saying. You already have so many promises underneath your feet that if you will learn to begin to draw off of what God has already given to you, you, will not, you, you won't be able to avoid pulling clouds of outpouring in on your life. Fresh revelation. And rather than wringing our hands, looking at a barren place and cursing it, saying, oh, I wish there'd be another cloud would come in. What you need to do is you need to reach deep and begin to access the promises God's already given you. Because they are the nourishment. The word of the Lord is water that is beneath your feet. And if you will begin to pull on those things and pray into them, pull them up through your life and release it back to heaven in the form of declarations, worship, and intercession, you will literally create an environment where clouds will be attracted to you. And you'll no longer be wondering, why are those other people getting blessed? Because you're so wet. (laughs) So the Lord wants to teach us to steward. And that's what I was alluding to. See, the water is not released through the leaves until it's pulled up through the ground and it nourishes the whole plant. You know, the average tree... it's transpiration. It transpires upwards of 90% of all the water that comes in it just flows through it to carry nutrients. And the word of the Lord over your life needs to be pulled up through your life. It needs to flow through. You become the living embodiment. It is your sustaining power. You live by the word of the Lord. Jesus said, man does not live by... Bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Learn to feed on the promises of God. Learn to feed on the word of God. And as you do, it will nourish you and you will become a living expression. And to the extent that you do, you'll begin to release that and you will create your own oasis. And others will come and camp around you just to sit in your shade and to drink of what you're producing. Amen? Amen. All right. Amen. Let's stand. Yes. I meant to address this morning the, the, uh, what the hearing or whatever, whatever you want to call that thing, that, that carnival this week in D.C. And uh, I believe the Lord addressed it during worship. I want you to understand, you are a people uniquely equipped by heaven to hear the word of the Lord, to drink it in, get with him, drink it in and release it back to him, okay? The Lord wants to rule and reign from the place of his church. Every other kingdom is subservient to the kingdom of heaven. And God wants to uh, impose his desires on the kingdoms of this world. And he does it through the declarations and the intercession of the saints. God's word comes out of heaven but it will not return to him fulfilling the purpose for which he released it, lest it come through the plantings of the Lord called believers. Let me say it again. God's word does not just fulfill itself. You say, well, if God said it, it's going to happen. There are things that God desired that have not happened. You say, well, God, you know, God's not willing that any should perish. Yeah, and he asks you to partner with him 
and releasing his word so people can come to him. It's the same scenario. And global affairs, you release the word of the Lord. You catch his heart, hear what he's saying, and release it into the environment. And we're seeding the clouds to rain back more of his purposes. Amen? All right. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing here this morning. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for fresh mantles of authority that are falling right now. Just wait on the Lord. I believe the Lord wants to drop some things on some of you. There's a fresh burden, but with that burden comes a fresh mantle of authority. And I believe some of you are even going to feel that physically as as just a... There's going to be a fresh authority for intercession. It's a fresh burden, but a fresh authority to release God's purposes back to Him. More, Lord. You've been listening to a presentation from Heartland Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information about our ministry and its available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Thanks for listening.